Hello and welcome to Python Bytes, where we deliver Python news and headlines directly to your earbuds. This is episode 338, recorded May 30th, 2023. I'm Michael Kennedy. And I am Brian Aachen. And this episode is brought to you by us, our courses and books and things like that. Talk to you more about that later. Also connect with us on Mastodon or all over on Fossidon at mkennedy, at Brian Aachen, and at Python Bytes. And we love it when people join the live show. If you want to be part of that, you can see the next scheduled upcoming one at pythonbytes.fm slash live and click that notify me and YouTube. And guess what? It'll notify you when it's live. So that's that's the front matter, Brian. I think we should start it off with some basics. What do you think? Yeah, let's go back to the basics. Uh, basics of Python packaging. Uh, so actually, this is something near and dear to what I've been paying a lot of attention to lately is um, is packaging and just how it's changed and it's kind of in the most people have switched over to pyproject.toml now um, and that's really what this is about so um, when you're packaging especially a pure python package well one of the things i like about this is and it's not just for pure python but that's the easy part if we're using pure python packaging um, you're probably using a pyproject.toml now and uh, this this there's has been several write-ups of it but some of them are kind of tool centric. So I, I like about this write up from Jay Kui, uh, or Jay Key, not sure, um, that uh, talks about just sort of uh, the easy, uh, a fairly standard setup. So um, uh, it, it does talk about the pep, peps in this article, but you don't really need to know much about that. You can just kind of skip to how do I do it? So using um, using the peps and using, um, using pyproject.toml, you do have to have a uh, specify what your build backend is. Um, so in the top example of this, this article it talks about using uh, flit core and that's one I've used. I've used a lot of that. Um, but then, uh, then what else do you put in there? So it, within your, the rest of the project.toml is mostly metadata. You can have other stuff too, like black and everything, but for your project building, the project metadata there's not a lot that goes in it. I mean, it looks like a lot when you just glance, but it's really, you, you know, it's your name, for the name of the project, the version, description of it, your author. I, I will point out that this is not minimal because it includes the email. You don't have to include the email. If you don't want to, you can just put the name. Um, and where your license and readme and classifiers are. The thing, one of the things I want to highlight is um, make sure you have the the license at the very least have your license classifier listed because that's how the license shows up on um, on the PyPI. So Py when PyPI is looking at projects, it looks at the classifier and then um, and try to throw in a, which which Python is required and then any of your dependencies that you're using and then some links. I mean, it's really it, it when you just talk about it uh, as a stream of conscious, it seems like a lot, but it's really not that much. And you're pretty much done. You can do a, do a build now. Uh, with this, um, this is uh, I think Brian. Before you move on from that, that I just noticed yeah. that I really like. If you do like a setup.py, what you've got to put is um, like the README and details and the descriptions and all those kinds of things. At least a long description. You've got to actually load the file and inject the contents of the file. And here you just put the file names for like the license and for the README, and it'll just pull those in. Right? That's cool. Yeah. It is. It is uh, one of the things I've harassed people about before. Is it's weird that the README and license are specified completely different. So the license has this like um, what the curly braces and then file equals license. Yeah, it's a dictionary. Like, yeah. 
Whereas the readme is just a text string with the name of the readme. Um, it's odd. I think that maybe we could have it so the license could just be a string with the license file on it also. But anyway, um, there's probably reasons, I'm sure. Um, the, the thing that I also want to point out is you can put as many URLs as you want in here. You can have like this example as homepage and bug tracker. Um, a lot of people just list home that lists the, uh, the, the GitHub link. Uh, but you can have um, your documentation and other stuff, and all of these show up in PyPI also um, when you're the, if you're published to PyPI. And if you don't want to publish to PyPI, uh, one uh, one extra is to um, that Kim reminds us of is another classifier I learned about is uh, private do not upload, which make tells PyPI to not upload it. So um, this is all great. And a lot of this uh, also, if you want to watch it in video form, is covered in the uh, Sharing is Caring uh, video. It's a talk I gave at PyCascades. The video is now up online. We'll put a link in the show notes. Um, but uh, this this document or this article goes through some of the different, uh, make sure that you understand the build step of Python-M build is one way to do it. There's other ways. Um, but then it talks about um, some of the, some of the discussion around why pyproduct.toml is there instead of setup.py. I think we're all convinced, hopefully. Um, but then also some choices of backends. So this article used Flit Core to start with, but there's also Hatchling and Setup Tools and Poetry Core. Um, uh, so why would you choose different ones? And one of the, the and it's because there's extra features. Some of them allow extra tags to go in there. And the example they're using, and that's, and one of the reasons why I use Hatch a lot is you can have uh, include and exclude things to say, um, you know, the normal stuff that you'd probably include in a source distribution, also add the tests, for instance, or something else. Um, the test is one that like it, distributors, uh, redistributors like uh, Linux distros like to have your tests in the source distribution. So throwing those in there is, is a good idea. I'm not sure why they're in there by default, but um anyway um it's a cool discussion i it one of the things they also love is it talks about what happens if you're not just python what if you have to include c well it doesn't really discuss it too much it just points you in the right direction so if you have c or c c plus plus extension there's a psych kit build core that you can use i haven't tried any of these if you're into mason you can use mason python um and then also setup tools supports it so there's a direction for that sort of stuff. Yeah, straightforward. Back to the basics, I like it. it yeah. Definitely demystify some of that. Henry points out in the audience, the license key will likely change via PEP 649, and currently FLIT just ignores whatever you put there. The true classifiers are the canonical location for the license. So just FYI. Thanks for, cool. for that, Henry. He always has such excellent... <laughs> extra information background information and we're so lucky to have some smart people show up on the chat so thank you yes absolutely all right let's talk vectors so i want to talk about vex and this project comes to us from ollie who open sourced this ollie rice now before i actually tell you about what vex is and what it does let's take a step back and talk about the pg vector extension for postgres the database so this is an open source because vex has to like builds on top of this so this is an open source vector similarity search um, extension for postgres so you can do things like given a bunch of 
points in different dimensions. This could be XY, could be XYZ, could be, you know, temperature and time. I don't know, right? It could be whatever you come up with. It'll give you the exact and approximate nearest neighbors, allow you to query that, like given some measurement, what other measurement is closest or give me the five measurements or positions that are closest to this. Gives you L2 distance, it'll do the inner product and cosine distance, so different metrics, uh, if that makes sense. And any language with a Postgres client can speak to it. It's pretty cool, right? Yeah. Yeah, so let me see if I can find some examples. So I can say, get me the nearest neighbor by L2 distance. And it says the way you would do that directly is you say select star from items, order by embedding, whatever the, the value is, is closest to, in this case, the vector value three, one, two, and then limit five, just like you do in databases. You know, give me the first five. So order by closest to farthest, and then just give me five. That'll give you the five nearest, right? And you could do things like sort by distance. Um, you can find exact matches. And you can also do other database things. Um, let's see, like uh, give me like where the ID is or is not equal to some value and so on, right? So pretty neat. Now, that's the PG vector extension just for Postgres. So you're speaking to it in a, like a special flavor of SQL, sort of. In Python, you can talk to this using this thing called VEX, okay? So with VEX, you just pip install it, and then you insert a bunch of vectors, and then you can write queries that are more, um, more API-based, I guess, not just direct SQL statements. So you give it the vector that you want to query against, and then, um, you know, like how many you want back. Um, if there's a filter to say, I only want the ones for a certain year, right? Filter it down and then do that query based on, on distance or whatever. So pretty cool. If people are out there doing that kind of work, I think they might find this pretty helpful. Yeah, uh, very. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> it's, it's not something that I have exact <laughs> direct use. Um, use for these days but you know a lot of scientific or geospatial type of things seems relevant yeah i've been spending more and more time in, in sql queries lately so anything to help with that is good yeah absolutely now one final thing it says uh in here it says you've got to have i can't remember which one talked about getting postgres one of them i yeah this one says if you don't have a postgres database see some hosting options and if you're on mac i just want to throw out there really quick postgresapp.com all you do for this one is it's super awesome you download it, you unzip it or undmg, whatever its packaging format is, and it's just a postgres.app. You double click it, Postgres is running. You close it, Postgres is not running. It auto updates oh, nice. itself. Yeah, so uh, pretty sweet. And it's open source too. Cool, neat. Yeah, yeah, very neat. I'll be needing that very soon. <laughs> yeah, So. <laughs> yeah, cool, check it out. Yeah, that one's, that's pretty nice. Okay, now before we move on, Brian, brought to you by us, this episode is so I wanted to remind people to, you know, please check out the brand new TalkPython training apps. It, they're rebuilt for iOS and Android. Really think it's a cool experience for way people can take it. It has offline playback and obviously way better on the, the mobile and tablet type of things. And it comes with six free courses that you can just tap on and join the free courses plus anything you might have gotten. So check that out. And want to shout out your book or what do you want to shout out today? Yeah, well, there's there's... Time is running out, but the um, yeah, let's uh, the the book is still on a promo. So um, uh, Python testing with PyTest. There is what is the promo? It is uh, spring twenty twenty three. All caps, all one word, and you get fifty percent off. And it's just for like today and tomorrow. I think it, it runs out at the end of May. 
Um, but anytime you want it, uh, there's a 25, that's 50% off. But if you want to sign up and get to their uh, email list, you can get 50%, 25% off normally. So anyway, that's a good thing. Excellent. Also, really quick follow-up, um, Henry points out that it was actually PEP 639, not 649, uh, typo there. Yeah, so 639 is improved license clarity with better package metadata. Um, it's in draft, but um, hopefully they'll be, it's in draft, really? Uh, anyway, uh, some some changes to how you specify the license, which would be good. So, mm -hmm. All right, let's talk about plagues next. <laughs> Plagues like uh, you know locusts and grasshoppers. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> nice. Um, no, I like these kind of plagues. These are awesome tools. So uh, I've used locust before. I think you've used locust for. Uh, I love locust. Yeah, for load testing. So yeah. good. Um, so uh, there's a a company Alter Alterx maybe a, any anyway. Uh, they've they've introduced grasshoppers. So it's a uh, locust grasshopper it's a open source python library for load testing but it's built on on locust so what's what's the difference so uh the, the, we're linking to an article that discusses the introduction and discusses why they love locust and everything um which is great but they have a check like a grasshopper what does it add what well, it adds a whole bunch of really cool features that you might need if you're load testing and developing developing a package and keeping track of your load testing over time so it has these extra checks in here and uh checks if i get this right are um things like uh special validation functions boolean functions that um that, that can run and you can tell you know different checks whether or not they're passing or failing over time which is i see based like on the, your the document had this text in it to make sure it wasn't insane in the response or something. Yeah, actually, I'm not quite sure. So I'd have to dig into that more. But um, one of the things I really like is these custom trends, which um, uh, custom trends and timing thresholds and integ integration with PyTest, of course, that's awesome. Uh, time series database integration and reporting. This all sounds great. One of the things I really love that's talked about in the readme a little bit more is um, uh, these idea of like, tagging your test suite so tag based suites so you can uh you can do see your load test results based on different versions so if you're tagging with using version tagging on your repo you can see what the progression is and and how well your your application is doing based on different and different load requirements um and you can have thresholds like with this load you need to have like you know 90 percent uh, the, the speeds of things. The other thing is uh, some speed thresholds. Like uh, um, you can have uh, multiple uh, uh, timing little functions that have multiple time, multiple HTTP requests. So uh, a an action that really is like a user action often is several interactions. Like how fast can somebody log in or something like that, or go through the checkout. That's going to be a multi multiple sequence thing. You can time that under under load and under stress, and that's, that's right. a pretty cool addition. Or even to load this page, we're going to, it's probably some complicated JavaScript front end, so it's going to call this API and that API and that API just to load this HTML yeah, page. Right? Sure. So you kind of want to treat that as like the page is loaded when these seven API calls finish, right? Something like that. Yeah. Because they're not using HTTPX like they should, or um, HTMX like they should. Also, uh, Nice shout out to a uh, sponsor there, InfluxDB. So Python by setup slash InfluxDB. This is the 
time series database that it integrates into. When I looked at this, Brian, I'm like, yeah, but Locust is pretty awesome. Why would somebody go create another one of these for the Python world when Locust exists? And then I read it, it's like, oh, we've extended Locust. Oh, and here's why. And they give some pretty good reasons. Another um, trend that would be cool, I don't know if you can actually measure it here, but it talks about custom trends is one of the things you can track. Things like CPU load and um, memory load on the server would be really interesting. Or, you know, yeah. maybe CPU load on the database server while we're hammering the web server. If you could pull those kinds of things in, that would be really cool. Yeah, maybe you can. Yeah, maybe it's, I kind of get the sense that it might be possible, but I don't, let's see, then, uh, not sure. But uh, very cool. Yeah, this this looks nice. It's definitely some worth the, checking Some out. of the check functions, you might be able to like abuse that for that purposes too. If while it's, while your load tester is running, um, check uh, CPU levels uh, and stuff like that. I don't know. Yeah, Utilization. exactly. Mm-hmm. So anyway, neat, neat project. Yeah, that's a good project. So uh, Grasshopper, right? Yeah. Oh, one of the things that that, that um, they talk about in the, I wasn't clear on it because I went and looked at PyPI and looked for Grasshopper and I found the wrong one. So it's um, Locust-Grasshopper. So that's the, that's the GitHub repos under that. And that's what you pip install also is Locust-Grasshopper. So just to be clear. Got it. I wonder if it's uh, like a superset, probably. You know, yeah. So if I have already written a bunch of locust tests, could I run I, them or how easy is it to... I'm a ma- I don't know, but I imagine it's not that bad to convert. Yeah, it's. it looks like the code is super similar. So worst case, you maybe change the base class, but possibly the base class is like derived from the locust base class that you use for your test cases or yeah. test suites. Yeah. Anyway. I haven't played with it yet, but it looks cool. The README's got tons of information too. Good job on loading up the README with lots of, of examples. Indeed. And uh, before we move on, Kim says it could possibly hook into telemetry tooling like Prometheus, which would enable metrics from other servers and stuff like that. Yeah, that's kind of what I was talking about, but not with actually concrete ways of doing it like Prometheus. So cool. Neat. Yeah. And I want to talk to you about something that is near and dear to this podcast. We talk about a lot of topics, right, Brian? Yeah. And if you go over to Python Bytes and you pick a particular episode and you scroll through here, you can see it is chock full of links. So one of the things you might want to do, you might want to say, oh, I'm listening to this. I want to remember not all of them, but just three things that I can come back to. And if you're on your iThing, your iPhone, iPad, etc., or even on your Mac, technically, if, if you've got an Apple Silicon Mac, you can use this thing called MemoCast. So MemoCast was created by Daniel Engvall. It's interesting on its own, but it's also interesting in a way to kind of script iOS with Python, which I hadn't really thought about doing. So first of all, let me tell you about MemoCast and then you can think how this might apply to you. So this is a small iOS app that allows you to add links heard about in a podcast as a reminder. So you can check them off your reminder list, you know, the at reminder app when you're done with them. So check this out. Imagine this, this is reading the website. Imagine you just as often as I um, imagine that you just as often as I do listen to a podcast such as Python Bytes, a fantastic one. Thank nice. you. Thank you. Using Google Podcasts, walk around, you know, you're you're doing it while you're out and maybe busy, like mowing the lawn or something, right? And then there's some 
thing talked about you wish you had more time to check out thankfully the reference in the show notes but you'd have to look it up and go through it and copy paste and all that so there's a little video here notice this nice uh, on this page and it shows all you got to do is say share go to the podcast player say share click memo cast and it gives it a second then it has a, a list of all the links that it's discovered in there isn't that cool brian that is neat yeah can't, can't really zoom that without the I can't really zoom it without the um, responsive design only making it smaller. But So how is this possible? The thing you share it to is you don't share it directly to Memocast. You say run in Pythonista. And so this is a Python script that, uh, that Daniel wrote that basically you run it through Pythonista, Python 10 on iOS. It does, a, I'm guessing, requests or something called over to our website and parses out all the links and then turns that into a UI that you can interact with. Cool, right? That's all done on the phone then? Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And so basically, this is an example, supports Python Bytes, Talk Python to Me, and Real Python as the three supported podcasts, but you can integrate new ones if you wish. And you install it once you have Python Nista, which I think costs $10 US one time. Um, but then you can install it, scanning the QR code here with Pythonista, and that will download it. Then you can just turn it into a thing that you can run. It also talks about how you add new podcasts if you want to add a different one. But that's somewhat interesting. I think what's more interesting is he took this Python code, and the code is right here, to build kind of a, a scriptable GUI for iOS, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, that is nice. Cool. Yeah. So talked about like, I did try to do this with Kivi and other stuff, but let me tell you the build chain and code signing and all of that is like a nightmare. <laughs> and so here you just write a Python script and just run it inside of this app that already exists. And final bonus before I call all the time on this one, Daniel also discovered that if you're on a Mac with a Sil Apple Silicon, then you can run Pythonista as an iOS app within Mac OS. So you go to the app store, search for it on Mac, and it doesn't come up, but then you click, say, show me tablet, you know, iPad apps, and then it'll come up. And then it integrates with your favorite IDE, such as PyCharm, and you can run it. So you can develop these little things on your Mac with a proper keyboard and everything, and then just like, deploy it to Pythonista on, on iOS. Oh, that's pretty cool. So, yeah. So people can check that out, MemoCast. It's kind of cool that it's about our podcast in this way, but it's also more cool that it just kind of shows you how to take Python and uh, leverage Pythonista a little bit more than maybe I realized you could, like an OS integration level. Yeah, I didn't know you could do that. That's cool. I did not either. Nice. And I guess before we jump out of here as well, Kim points out on Android, which I have some but not tons of experience with, you can run Python code with QPython should someone want to emulate this for Android. Thanks, Kim. Cool. All right. Is that all of our topics, Brian? That is all of our main is. topics, yes. Yes, of course, we always have extras. Yeah. No joke. Any extras for you though? Yeah, I can kick this off. So, um, uh, just a few. Um, uh, the, a shout out from oh, who wrote this? I'm not sure. Uh, Hugo, Hugo Van. Yeah. Kimenad. Um, wrote uh, help Pyta help test Python 3.12 beta. So 3.12 is in beta. Um, if you are a package maintainer or just your own application, you may as well um, start testing to make sure that you don't have any surprises. So um, they, this uh, article does talk through basically how to hook up your GitHub actions so that you're testing uh, 3.12 also. Um, and then uh, whether whether it's the official official Ubuntu latest or the Dead Snakes version, 
uh, a couple ways to do it. And then even if you're using Travis CI still, why? Uh, anyway, um, you can do that with that as well. Um, so that's the first. Secondly, I wanted to um, say that at the um, uh, Python Software Foundation blog, there is a whole bunch of new articles. They basically wrote up, there's articles writing up all the different things that happened at the Python Language Summit. Um, I haven't gone through these. They're just available. Wanted to shout that out. Um, it's some interesting <laughs> stuff, though. There is. I just interviewed Brett Cannon over on Talk Python about this. He gave us a, a walkthrough of all the presentations and thoughts nice. at the, the Language Summit. Okay. And then a from the news from the weird, I don't have much information about this other than on the Py, Python Package Index blog, uh, they say, hey, PyPI was subpoenaed and you know, this thing happened and we complied and talked to lawyers and it's weird, but yeah, it's just odd. Uh, yeah. So how about you? Any extras? Yeah. I wonder if this has to do with some of the malware crypto jacking maybe stuff yeah. that was uploaded to it. And they're like, all right, we're going to try to track down some of these people. There are certain places that are not allowed to say whether they received a request. And I think this is not a subpoena. This is more of a, what is it? FASA, like the more um, international crime investigation laws so we'll have uh, subpoena canaries <laughs> that it'll, it'll be like the canary will be here unless we are subpoenaed then the canary's gone we won't say anything but we'll just this bird won't be on the page or something anymore hmm. so you can kind of know but yeah it's kind of cool they're they're being uh, transparent about that yeah what Hashtag is that transparency it says right there yeah and it, one of the things that was interesting is that they got asked for addresses including mailing and residential addresses but they don't collect that they just i mean they there's your that information isn't saved so it's not there. yeah i'm sure it's a form and like we would like this information well we don't have that so we'll give you what we got <laughs> yeah okay nice all right i got a couple of real quick ones here um not python needs uh one i wrote something called you can ignore this post I'm trying to get a lot of attention of course what it actually was is i just wrote about the uh the github.com slash github slash git ignore repo which has all, like when you go to GitHub and you say, create a new project, and it says, do you want a, a, an ignore file? And oh, it gives yeah. you a list. These are the all the ignore files for every language supported there, including Python, which is in here somewhere right there. And so you can actually see what they all are. Uh, you could even do a PR. Like we really need to start ignoring, you know, if there's a new file format that's like a build output of some new pyproject.tominal tooling, and it starts to, you know, it needs to be ignored. You could say do a PR against this. So every repo on GitHub starts to adopt it. But also, if you're doing, um, say, Python and front end stuff, you could go look for Node and you could select one and then copy some stuff out of another to kind of create a combined one, right? So you're not like, well, is it Node or is it Python? I really want the ignore for it. So anyway, that article is just sort of about that, really short. People can check that out. I use that all the time because I'm also on GitLab and GitLab doesn't fill those out for you. Um, oh, so. yeah. I hadn't really thought about it, but you can nab it for other purposes as well, right? Yeah. Yep. And then someone on Mastodon pointed out you can do Nox Python Ignore, and I think it'll generate that file for you and uses what? that as the back end. I think, I think so. Something with Nox and some incantation will generate an <laughs> Ignore file for you. And if we have that wrong, somebody will correct us. They sure will. And we yeah. appreciate it. And speaking of incantations, are you ready for the joke? Yes. Okay. So here's the joke for developers. It says, careful, or you might end up summoning a demon. And Care it has two categories, what you do in programming and what you do in demon summoning. 
So first one is, you must know a language unspoken by mankind. <laughs> Programming, check. De demon summoning, check. Requires that you be exact or suffer dire consequences. Programming, check. Demon summoning, check. Involves much cursing, swearing of oaths, and pleading with a higher power. Programming, check. <laughs> demon summoning, check. Another one is not understanding the true power you wield or the consequences of your actions. Programming check. Demon summoning check. The only differentiation, which I think is debatable, is candles. Do you use candles to accomplish this job? Programming? No. Demon summoning? Yes. And if you look over on Reddit, the comments are pretty glorious. <laughs> That's funny. Um, let me see if I'm finding these good ones just here. <laughs> Somebody said uh, something like, uh, I've been trying for hours to get this demon to run, and I just can't get it to work. That's what I'm writing on. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm trying demon, not demon, right? Of course. Demon. <laughs> and then someone else points out, you know, there actually is a candle app platform, which sounds truly demonic to me. So let me describe. This is like a real thing. This is not a joke. Candlescript.org. Somebody created this. Let me lay out the beautiful technologies that, that Candlescript combines. Are you ready to use the new open source platform that unifies core features of XSLT, XQuery, XML schema, RelaxNG, BNF, and XQuery update and more into a single language called Candle? <laughs> no, please, no, XSLT, no. Yeah, that sounds pretty demonic already, so I'm a little suspicious of that one. Yeah, and I think that, I think actual demon summoning, probably, they're probably worried about climate change and probably switching to low carbon, um, Yes. Uh, lighting. Yes. So LED, right. probably LEDs now instead of actual candles. Um, yep. LEDs. Got to be careful that that home automation. You yeah. might complete the <laughs> all the checkboxes. Uh, yeah. I think sometimes you have to execute a child. Uh, that's funny. Um, child <laughs> process. Yeah. They both execute children, right? I mean, that's one's a pretty rough one. Uh, Kim, I believe, have, maybe has done enough XSLT as I have to know that it should never ever be done. And says Candle Script has just triggered my PTSD. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, funny. Oh, the battle XML days. <sighs> well, yeah. that's it, Brian. Great show as always. Thank you for being here. Well, being thank here. you. Mm -hmm. Thanks to you, everyone, for listening and those of you who joined live. It was great. Bye.